Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. My name is Dosta. Pleased to be with you. So pleased to be speaking. (laughs) What a thrill it is to be back on the mic. Why the name Dosta? Well, that's a story I'll be sharing soon enough. From here on in, if you could call me Dosta, I would appreciate that. Also, just quickly, I'd like to point out that I have been away for some time, and I'll be sharing more stories about that journey and about what happened when the time is right. All I really feel to say at the moment is that it's great to be back. It feels so good. I'm a little giddy, a little nervous. feel a bit funny about it, but I'm smiling. <laughs> I feel very happy about it. So today I'd like to talk about this thing that's been bouncing around for me for some time. It's this thing of multiple bodies. And today I'd like to lay out this framework or structure of way of thinking about your phenomenological experience of reality, which is just a fancy way of saying how you experience life, which is five bodies. So I want to paint this picture clearly for you of five bodies. And I'm sure... At least most of these you've heard of before, if not all of them. And I want to clear up the confusion around them because there's a lot of conflicting things that go on when we talk about and when we experience and we're feeling and we're thinking and we're moving our way through life. And this, I think, will really help to clarify each part of your phenomenological experience of reality. And what that means is we take one big thing, reality, one big thing, your total experience of reality, and then we divide it into five equal parts. And then we divide it into five equal parts. So, the five bodies I'd like to make clear to you are the physical body, the energy body, the emotional body, the causal body, and the cosmic body. Now, I'm sure you've heard of at least some of these. And before we go any further, I should really make it clear about what definition we're using in this conversation for the word body. Now, this in and of itself can cause a lot of confusion because there are multiple definitions for this word body. Now, when we say the body, and usually when someone's saying the body and they're talking about the body or body, they mean the physical body. And it is, it's becoming more common for people to talk about other bodies within the same conversation, but Usually, body means the physical body. So, for the purposes of this conversation, we want to expand our definition to include a richer, deeper way of 
talking about our experience of reality. So we're trying to open up different dimensions of how you experience reality. So whenever you hear someone talking about this word or whenever you hear this word body, make a little trigger in your mind as to be clear about what the definition is. Because most conversations won't start with a clear definition of what the body is, and they will simply automatically mean that they're talking about the physical body. So be careful with that when you hear other people talking about bodies or the body. For this conversation, a body has a few different things. For one, they have a natural shape to be in. For another thing, they have a way of moving and interacting. Another point is they need to be fed, they need to develop, they need to grow, they need to be in a moving, sort of vibrant way of existing. A body also has a thing that will kill it suddenly. A body also is made of parts that are separate to each other, but all work together. There's also a unique way of being in the body and out of the body. Or, to be more accurate, there's a way of being in a body or out of a body. Now, if you look at this definition, it's quite broad and it's quite complex. And there's a number of things we can easily plug into this definition. For example, a body of water, like a lagoon or a pond or a lake or an ocean. So an ocean or a lake has a natural shape that it wants to be in. And it might be that we come along and build some docks or some groins or a dam or a pier. And humans are then changing that natural shape. Or maybe some natural things happen to change the shape, like on the shores, there's corrosion, erosion, these sorts of things. All sorts of things that I'm sure you can think of that change the shape of a body of water, which is different to its natural shape that it wants to be in. A body of water also has a way of moving and interacting with its surrounds. And a body of water also needs to be fed. It needs a creek. It needs a river. It needs rain. It needs something to keep it alive. If it doesn't rain long enough, it dries out. There are also parts that are separate, but all working together in the lake. So a lake is a whole ecosystem, or even a lagoon or an ocean. An ocean is an even bigger ecosystem. So for an ocean to exist, it needs all sorts of things to be working, all sorts of chemical and biological systems, and it's in balance with its surrounds. It needs a set of conditions for it to be all working together. And if you're a marine biologist or someone who's a bit more scientifically minded than I am, then you can 
name all the different parts of the ocean. And you can go into details about how the different parts work, why there are waves at some bits, why there's different depths of pressure. There's different animals and different ecosystems in different parts. Of course, that's beyond my area of expertise. So a body of water is just one example of how a body is different in this definition. We can also say that there's a political body. So here in Australia, we call political parties, or political bodies, we call them parties or uh, how to say, I mean, I call them political bodies and that's pretty well understood. There's also like the corporate body or body corporate. If you're going somewhere and you see the like a set of flats, a set of units, a big building, then there's always a letterbox that says body corporate. And that's like the legal entity or the sort of the custodians of the property. And if you want to send something to them, then it's send it to the body corporate. And the legal system or corporations or politics, they all sort of have these, this word body, which means, which, which fits into our definition of what a body is which is that there's a natural shape for it to be in. It has a way of moving and interacting. It has a need to be fed, developed and grown. And it has a thing that will kill it suddenly. So if you think of a political party and a story comes out about the political party, that will end their campaign for political power. And a political body needs votes. It needs new policies. It needs new politicians coming through. It needs to be in tune with the ways of the people. It needs to be having its agenda. It needs to have a vibrant agenda. And a political party has parts. So each person has a part in a political body or political party. And they all work together. So a political party can't just have the prime minister or the leader or whoever it is in your country. They also need the backbenchers and whatnot and the barristers, depending on which country you're in. They all work together to form a bigger whole, which is the political body. There's also a thing of what it's like to be in the political body. So when someone becomes a politician or when someone endeavours to be a part of a political party, they find themselves saying certain things. They find themselves acting a certain way. They start focusing on certain values. They start moving about and working towards certain things. Now, in a way, that's them but in another way, there's something bigger than them that's causing them to do it. So that's what it means to have a body which is bigger than just the parts and something working bigger than just all these smaller things going together. So with this definition of a body, we want to move into dividing up our phenomenological experience into the physical body the energy body, the emotional body, the causal body, and the cosmic body. 
most people understand quite well the physical body and what you can do to maximize it, what you can do to be in it, what natural shape it wants to be in, what way it has of moving, interacting with the surrounds, how it has a need to be fed, developed and grown. So you need to be eating your foods, you need your sustenance, you need your vitamins, you need your liquids. This is the whole the whole thing of diet, nutrition and sports is all about the physical body. So work, muscle, strength, endurance, size, shape, flexibility. These are all the terms that we associate with the physical body. So pumping iron, lifting weights, going to the gym, going for a run. This is all the physical body. And when you're in the physical body, it has a, a certain experience to it. When you're pumping iron and you're moving the body lots and you're working out and you're lifting weights and you're doing all these things, there's a certain feeling you get. Faster breathing, elevated heart rate, temperature skin, oxygen moving through the blood. This is an experience and it's a unique experience to the physical body. A lot in our culture at the moment is pushed towards maximizing the quality of life for individuals through the physical body. And it's here I want to make a little bit of a tangent onto how we place these five bodies, physical, energy, emotional, causal, and cosmic, together because... A lot of people would say that the foundation is the physical body, or the most fundamental is the physical body. And we have to use this word, well, we can use this word levels. So you can say that each body builds on top of the other, but that's not exactly right because all the bodies make their effect at the same time. So we can say that we start with the physical body and then we move to the energy body and then we move upwards to the emotional body. So this is like a ladder or a sort of hierarchy model. Or we can say that they're more like circles and there's one inside of the other and we move outwards. But really, in reality, all these bodies are happening at different times in different ways from completely different angles with different amounts. So if you want to put it into an order or a hierarchy or a ladder or a circle or spirals or any sort of shape you want, we can turn it into a cube and use it as a spectrum if we really wanted to. But it doesn't matter too much about that. Whatever's most comfortable for you, the main thing is that you understand that there's these five bodies and they all have their own way and their own place and their own their own life to them. So don't get hung up too much in the order, but a lot of our culture is poised at the physical body at the moment. There's a huge industry around getting the physical body right. And in a sense, you really do want to start with the physical body, like the gross body. It's the most crude. It's the most... Uh, it's like, it 
it's the most obvious. It's the easiest to see. Like if I tell you to pick up some weights and start lifting them, that's very basic, very simple instructions with a very clear, obvious outcome. Like if I force you to do sit-ups and push-ups every day for a month, then it's a crude, obvious, definite result from a crude, obvious, definite cause. So if you want to start with something, start with the physical body. And you can't leave the physical body out. The physical body is, in some ways, well, let me be paradoxical. Let me contradict myself. The physical body is core, but it's also equal to the other five bodies. Next on our order of ladder or order of hierarchy in the five bodies, I've put the energy body. So energy is a little buzzword that also comes with a lot of problems in any conversation we want to have because there's so many different definitions of this word energy. So whenever you hear the word energy, you hear someone talking about the word energy, that should also be a little trigger bell, just like the word body, as to what is their definition? What do they mean by energy? Because an astrophysicist would think of energy of up in the stars, and then a Tai Chi master who's doing Tai Chi practice would think of another thing. So energy is a very broad term and the New Age movement, the self-help movement, and all these feel-good uh, public speakers and motivational speakers are always using this word, like, you've got to get your energy up. You've got to get good energy or good vibrations. I need to be in sync with my higher energy, higher energy and lower energy. These sorts of things can get a bit wishy and washy depending on who's talking about them and depending on how clear they are with their definition. So for the purposes of this conversation, energy is the sensation in your body, which is not the same as your physical body. And you can get a sense of this. Let me just try and give you a sense of this. One of the things that gives off energy or is an indication of energy is heat. So what you can do is take the two palms of your hands, take your two hands, Put them together. This is what my Tai Chi master showed me and how he introduced me to the energy body. You put your two palms of your hands together and then you slowly move them apart and you do a little circle with the palm of your hands. A very slow, soft circle so that you can feel the heat. Feel the sensation of the warmth of your hand up against the other hand. And if you can feel that heat, then you can feel the energy body. It takes a sensitivity. It takes a subtlety. It takes a nuance. It takes a very delicate way of perceiving what it's like to be in your body. 
Now, there are exercises you can do and there are practices that you can do which will make you more and more aware of that heat, that energy. And so you can actually be sitting in your chair and you can sense how hot you are. Sense your temperature. Now, there's another, there's another little trick we can do. If you want to just shake that off, there's another thing we can do to put you into the energy body. Take one of your hands or take your whole arm. Now, from the elbow down, you want to shake that arm. Shake that. Shake the wrist. Shake the fingers. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Really, really shake it. Make it limp. Make it go all over the place. Really, really shake it. Shake it, shake it, shake it. Hard. Shake it hard. Limp. From the elbow down, shake it, shake it. Keep shaking, keep shaking. And then you stop. Now, when you stop, you'll notice there's a tingling sensation. And this tingling sensation of the blood and the oxygen in the blood and the muscles and the skin and the bones, that's energy. That's the experience of energy. And just like you can learn to be aware of the heat in your body, your physical body, you can be aware of the oxygen in your blood and how the oxygen moves through your blood. And it's not a, it's not a strictly scientific, crude, empirical experience. It's an energy body experience. And that's why we've got this term energy body, because it's completely different to the physical body. Now, you notice that we used the physical body to affect the energy body. And at this point in the conversation, I want to be clear about cause and effect. Now, we can have a wonderful philosophical argument about cause and effect and what came first, the chicken or the egg. But basically, for the purposes of what we're saying here, we need to just say that A causes B. Now, in reality, A and B are in a string of events, which is not only a linear string, but also vertical and horizontal in every direction. And the entire web of events are linked together. But just before, just, bef just for the simplicity of talking about it, we have to say that A equals B. And we have to say cause and effect is A equals B. So the physical body affects the energy body. Now, you can reverse it when you become centered in the energy body and you're really in the energy body, then the energy body affects the physical body. So it's two ways, cause and effect. Now, these examples of putting your palms together to feel the heat and shaking your hand to feel the oxygen, that's the physical body affecting the energy body in that order. 
So Tai Chi is an energy practice. Tai Chi, uh, it's where I really started to wake up to the energy body and get in touch with it and develop my ability to listen to it. So there's another thing which is we, we would say that there's a certain amount of physical body movement required before you can wake up to the energy body. But that's hard to generalize about. That's hard to speak broadly about because these bodies are always available. It's just that, well, it's hard to say, does somebody need to do a certain amount of things before they discover something else? Maybe we can just leave that on the side as a philosophical question for another day. If we continue on our list of bodies, so far we've got the physical body, we've talked about the energy body, next I've got the emotional body. Now, when you are emotional, when you are in an emotion, the emotion is you, you are the emotion. Now, when we talk about emotions, the words are a little bit deceptive because I say, I am angry, or I am happy, or I feel sad, or I'm depressed, or I'm joyful. Now, when you say, I am those things, and you're really saying it, and you're really speaking from the emotion, then that's a true representation of what you are. If I say I am angry, like the why on angry sort of says, I mean, I would never say I am anger. That's not correct English. If I'm really angry, I wouldn't say that I am anger. I would say I am angry. And even then I wouldn't say necessarily like who, who when they're really, if, you, if you're really in anger, if you're in a real deep frustration and you're clenching your fists and you're, you want to yell, you want to punch something, if someone asks you something like, what are you? How are you? And you really, and they ask in such a way and, and in such a situation where you do answer correctly, then you say, I am angry, that brings an awareness to what you are and it brings a separation with, through language, it brings a separation to the, the emotion and where you are. So language breaks apart emotions. When you're really in the emotional body, there's no words for it. And it's total. Anger is everywhere. Everything is angry. And this is how you have people who are getting frustrated in one situation and the people who are watching on can see how silly it is and they see how stupid it is that they're getting angry or frustrated. When you're not in the emotional body, then it, it's, it's not real to you. It's not a reality to you. Now, with our definition of the body or up body, emotions fit perfectly in the sense that Emotions have a natural shape they want to be in. They have a natural way of moving and interacting through reality. They have a need to be fed. They need to develop. They need to grow. They need to go somewhere. They have a directionality to them. 
they also have a thing that will kill them suddenly. So when you're a, you are in an emotion and there's something that s- makes you snap out of it, then you can see that the emotion is switched. It's been killed. And the natural shape of emotions, well, that's, that's a whole game of emotional repression, emotional... Emotional mastery, well, when we talk about emotional mastery or controlling emotions, we have to be careful because emotions are not something to control. They're something to allow. And oftentimes if we say to ourselves, look, I'm just going to allow this emotion, I'm really going to let this emotion come and I embrace this emotion, then that's a much deeper emotional mastery and emotional intelligence. It's easy to get confused about controlling emotions and labeling emotions. And there's a sort of hazy thing that happens with how you allow an emotion to move through you. Now, I think from what I've seen in my culture, there is a lot of emotional repression. There's a lot of taboo around emotion. There's a a taboo around crying. There's a taboo around being angry. And this can cause a lot of repression, restriction, and suffocation. And when it comes time, if it, if it ever comes time, and even this in itself is lucky, if it ever comes time where we say to someone, look, your emotions are now the most important thing. We're going to let them be whatever they want to be. And we're going to create a safe space for you to let those emotions flow. Now, when you first say that to someone, a lot of different things can come up. And there's a whole variety of triggers and tricks and techniques which can help to push on that process and bring on that process. But if someone's really got a strong emotional body, they can let them come up and let them really just, it's like a roar, it's an opening, it's an explosion To be honest, what I see more in my culture is a taboo against emotions, and this leads leads to an apathy. It leads to a, a sort of indifference, and people don't go into their emotions. They don't allow their emotions to come out naturally. They don't feed them. They don't let them move and interact with the environment, and that means really sometimes getting angry sometimes really getting pissed off. It means really fighting with someone. If you don't fight, if you don't have a strong push, if you don't have that, uh, you know, like when you, when you have an emotion, it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a completely different feeling to the, the energy body or the physical body. It's being, a, the, the energy body and the physical body, they're being affected by the emotion, So why did he act that way? Why is she crying? Why did they say that? Why did she do that? And then you can say, well, they were having this emotion. They were feeling this emotion. And somehow that explains it. Oh, they were angry. Oh, they were upset. Oh, they were frustrated. But a lot of that is missing because of the taboo we have around emotions. And it leads to this apathy, this indifference, which is this boredom. 
And really, the emotional body is one of the most powerful things that you can do to wake up to reality, to to mess with your phenomenological experience, to mess with your feelings, to really get deep. When you get into emotions, you get deep. Experientialism has emotion at the heart of it. An emotion is of the heart. Emotion is of fire. Emotion is passion. Emotion causes expression on your face. And if you really enter into it and you really allow yourself to open up to it, that's when you feel alive. That's really what's missing from you. You don't have the passion. Can you allow yourself to get angry? Can you say, I really do want to get angry and go into it consciously and say, now, now what would happen? Now, this is part of, there are a lot of techniques that use this sort of line of reasoning. And there's a lot of uh, spiritual practices or whatnot, which we'll, which we'll talk about soon enough about this. But basically, they come down to this. Now, what, what do we do if we say to someone, be angry, really be angry? Now, here's a pillow, punch it. Here's a soundproof room. Yell and scream and kick as much as you can. Now, that's the physical body affecting the emotional body because you would first start out as an act. Your physical body would be doing the movements of anger until eventually the emotion comes up and you can use the physical body to trigger the emotional body. And when you're really triggering the emotional body, that's when you're you're getting into a deeper energy. So the energy body is closely related to the emotional body. It's so funny that when we have a motivational speaker and they use this, you know, the classic motivational talk of like, yes, let's get up, let's get into it. You can go for it. Yes, that's emotion. And even emotion, the word motion, movement requires energy. It requires a propellant. So the physical body, if we, if we can imagine the physical body as like, as like a puppet and then we feed it some energy, we give him some sugar, we give him some caffeine, we give her some fruit, we give her some nutrients, whoever, boy or girl, anything, we feed the, the puppet, then the, the, the food goes in and it starts animating, it starts moving around then the physical body is being propelled by the energy body. Now, if that puppet has a diet and a regular diet, then the food is going to have less and less of an effect, leaving aside you know, uh, evolutionary conditioning and biological. Let's just call it a blank slate puppet, and it's just got a regular diet. The body will adjust to that diet, and it will become normal. It will become well, it's also got its environment its and its everyday routine and its actions. But basically, if we, we then say to this puppet, act angry and move about in an angry way and go into the emotion of anger, then the energy of that food that's gone into the puppet will be redirected into a different behavior and it will be a different experience. And that's why we have a different Name for the physical body, the energy body, and the emotional body. 
Now, there's another thing I'd like to point out, and this is important as well. And that is that there's another body I want to slip into this big five, which is the subtle body. Now, I haven't included it in the big five because, well, well, because it's subtle. But we can call this body 1.5 or 2.5. It's somewhere between, somewhere between the physical body and the energy body. And subtlety is the difference between complexity and variety and the detail in your experience and a sort of blandness or a oneness. Call of it like a foggy oneness. So when we did this exercise of the two palms of the hands touching together to feel the heat. So if you get your hands back up and you want to rub them together, you will notice that you have to be very soft and you have to become more subtle in order to feel the heat. And there's a subtlety there, which is between the physical body and the energy body. Another way of describing subtlety is we can say, well, stand up. Well, you don't have to do it if you don't want to, but just imagine, I mean, you can do it if you'd like, depending on whatever you're doing. If it's okay with you, stand up. Otherwise, just imagine what I'm saying. You stand up with your hands, with your arms by your side, and we can say that's one position. Now, raise your hands over your head, and so they're up in the air, and that's another position. And now raise them out to the sides, and that's a third position. So you can say that while you're standing there, there are three different positions that your arms can be in. Now, if that's one level of subtlety, we can then make it more subtlety by saying, well, instead of having your arms in three different positions, let's make it five different positions. So you've got like a 45 degree angle pointing outwards, then out to the side, and then 45 degree angle pointing upwards and then pointing straight up. So you've got five different positions of your arms. And that's a different subtlety. That's more subtlety. Five positions is more subtle than three positions. And this is a never-ending depth to it. This is a receding infinity of subtlety. Because I can say, well, now let's do a movement with your arms very slowly moving up, and every few few inches we can stop. So move your arms up and stop. Move your arms up and stop. Move your arms up slowly and stop. Move your arms up slowly and stop. And if you're really paying attention to what you're doing and what's happening in your body, your physical body, then this will be opening up your subtlety. It will be more complex. And then you can go back down, move down and stop, move down and stop. Now, the slower you move, the more subtle each position of your arms are going to be, the more detail there is in your phenomenological experience. And you can also... There's a point where the, the, the starting and the stopping 
flows together and you're just moving really slowly. So that's another way of doing it. We can just say, stand there and move your arms upwards slowly. Now that speed which you're moving, that's a slow speed. Now I can tell you that actually you can go slower than that. You can go even slower. You can move your arms slower and slower. And somewhere between a stop and a move, you might be moving so slowly that you think you're... Now, if you're doing it along with me, I'm doing it a little bit here. I do this. I, I, if you're doing this along with me, you can notice the feeling change. There's a change in your, your blood pressure. There's a change in your shoulder blades, your, sh your shoulders, your elbows, your arms. There's a detail coming. The oxygen flows differently through your blood when your arms are over your head. And we can say, we can say that. We can just say oxygen is happening differently or we can just say it's energy. Really, energy is a... Energy is a word that we use in order to speak simply and to get along with making something happen. So we can have big philosophical conversations and multiple definitions of the word energy, or we can just use it and we can say, well, it doesn't really matter too much what the word energy means because we just need to talk about our experience of what's happening quickly and we just move on. So this exercise of having more detail, more subtlety is why we have the subtle body. And there's a whole array of practices. Well, Qigong, Tai Chi, these sort of ancient physical, these, these uh, well, I, I can't say physical body, but I, Tai Chi, it's a, it's, a, it's three bodies. You've got the physical body, the subtle body, and the energy body. So Tai Chi doesn't really open up emotion. You're not going to start... I mean, there's a little bit of that. You might have a little bit of emotions coming up. But you're not going to do Tai Chi and then start crying or start screaming or you're not going to have the urge to, to, to laugh or... You know, these sorts of emotional things are separate to the subtle body, the physical body, and the energy body. So, the subtle body is in this big five as a, a sort of halfway between the physical body and the energy body. And subtlety, we can talk about more broadly, and we can talk about subtlety within each of the bodies, so you can have more subtle emotions. So, when we talk about emotions, we can say, well, there's only two emotions, fear and love. So, we've heard that before. But we can also say, you know, there are hot emotions or cold emotions. Or we can say there are deep emotions or shallow emotions. And these are a number of just basic, bland, black and white thinking about emotions. And that can help when we think that we're going into the emotional world and we want to open up things and we want to make things more simple. Then we can reduce emotions into simple ways of speaking. 
But when we want to complexify our emotions and understand them better, then we need more subtlety. And that means that we can say, well, let's, instead of having just two words for every emotion, let's say, how many words can we have for our emotions? Let's try and use every single word we can for emotions. Like, what emotion are you feeling? I'm feeling banana. Banana is an emotion. I'm feeling street lamp. The emotion I'm feeling right now is a porch back fence deck with a cup of tea and a nice potato uh, dip with crackers. That's my emotion. So when we really stretch out far this way of talking, then we can take it as extremely as possible. Then we're complexifying. We're having more subtlety in the way we talk about emotions. And now talking about it and experiencing it, we, we, keep those, uh, we keep those separate and we keep them as important as each other. We might come to a point where we're experiencing emotions and we say, I've never felt this before. And the way I talk about it is I feel, I feel happy, but it's also a feeling I've never felt before. So I'm saying it's happy, but it's a new kind of happiness. It's a new emotion. So that subtlety is a never-ending receding infinity within the emotional body. So the subtle body, we can thread through all the bodies. So physical body, energy body, emotional body, and somewhere in there we can sprinkle in the subtle body. Next on our list is a big one. This is the causal body. Now, in our culture at this time, when someone is talking about the causal body, they say the mind. The mind is the causal body. Another thing we can say is that each body has a mind of its own. But before we get off on that tangent... Let me be clear about the causal body. This is the world of the noosphere. This is the world of words. This is the world of speech. This is the world of thoughts. These are your books, your psychologies, your philosophies, your theories. The talks that you've listened to. The people that you've talked with. How you talk. How you have this thing in your head. You notice that it's in the head. The mind is the head. You point to your temple. You point to your forehead. You touch your head. You scratch your head. When you're trying to get an idea, you scratch your head. This is the causal body. Now, with our definition of a body, let's plug in what you would normally consider to be the mind. So the mind has a natural shape that it wants to be in. It has a way of moving and interacting. It has a need to be fed, developed and grown. It needs to have a directionality to it. It has a thing that will kill it suddenly. It also has parts that are separate, but all work together. So your mind has different parts different complexities and layers to it. 
So the mind moves in a way. It's got a way of, it's got somewhere it wants to go. And just like with emotions, when we say to the mind, first up, actually, here's free reign. You can do what you want then it normally goes haywire because we've spent so long trying to control it and suppress it that it has to go on all sorts of crazy adventures before it first settles. And that's why when we first start to meditate, there's a bit of a, there's a bit of a bleh, there's a bit of a bleh, bleh, you know, things are getting crossover, things are going crazy because you've never said to your mind, be natural, do what you'd like to do, go wherever you'd like to go. There's also a thing that kills the mind suddenly. Now, you might think what what initially comes to mind when we say we kill the mind is you chop off your head. So if you kill the physical body, you kill the causal body immediately. But you don't even need to do that. So if you have a sort of an epiphany or an, a realization or someone gives you something, an insight where your mind is stopped for a moment, then... That's something that's killed your mind for a moment. And that's a thing that kills it suddenly. And the parts of the mind, well, we've talked about that at length before. There's, there's all sorts of ways of divvying up the parts of the mind. But the reason we call the mind the causal body is because it causes the other bodies. Now, think of it this way. When I was telling you to raise your arms up slowly and in more and more detail just a few moments ago, I was causing you to do that with my words. I was using my speech and it was your ability to understand my speech and the shared understanding we have with the words in the mind that caused you to either go along with the exercise or just imagine yourself doing it or to think about it. So the physical body was caused by the mind, the causal body. And when you go to the gym, if you have a personal trainer, what they're going to do to you is they're going to say, well, now here's the weight amount. Here's the name of the exercise. Here's how many reps you're going to do. Here's how many sets you're going to do. Here's for how long you're going to do each. So, you know, and blah, blah, blah. The list goes on. And that list is of the mind. It's words. He's writing it on the blackboard or she's writing it in your diary. Whoever it is, they're causing you to do the physical exercise through your mind, through the causal body. Now, the causal body, we can also call the causal realm. The causal realm is a whole, well, it's really a whole nother reality. It's the world of the imagination. It includes the story. It includes the narratives, both the narrative of your life, what you tell yourself about your life, your image, your day, week, month, year, and all the stories of the world, the religions of the world, the fictional stories of the world, the psychologies, the philosophies other people's biographies, autobiographies. The causal realm is huge. The causal realm is... Uh, it, to be in it is to be in another world. Now, if you're sitting... Think of it this way. If you're sitting at a desk in a classroom or 
at school or something and you're listening to the teacher talk and you're taking in the words and you're making notes or you're reading a book or you're listening to me like you are right now, you are in the causal body. You're not really, you're not really in the physical body. You're thinking about what I'm talking about. It's ticking over in your head. And if I'm really engaging, I'm really interesting and I'm listening or I'm, I'm speaking carefully enough to have you on board with what I'm saying, then you're going to enter deep into the causal body. You're going to be doing the things that happen in the causal body. You're going to be interacting in a way that is the causal body. So your physical body might just be sitting doing nothing. And, you then, and that's, that's when you get up from your chair after a long lecture at university or at school or whoever, and your legs are stiff and you're tired and you feel, oh, I really need to, I really need to move my body. I really need to move my physical body because you've been in the causal body. Now, there's a lot of mental health processes and there's a lot around, I've, I've seen a lot around trying to get out of the mind trying to get out of the causal body. And one very common, quick, easy way to get out of the mind is to just drop into the physical body because the physical body is crude. It's, it's immediate and it's obvious. So if you're depressed or you're stuck in your mind or you're, you're too much in your thoughts, normally the, the, quickest, the quick fix answer is to, well, move your body, do some exercise. And it's like, well, then you have the problem that oh, I don't feel motivated and that's because you don't have your emotional body and you don't have your emotional body because there's no energy and you don't have energy because you haven't been moving your physical body. So the, think of the, we can think of these like a circle all affecting each other. They all go around and they all, they all can affect each other from any direction. So you can affect the causal, you can affect your mind with your emotional body and vice versa. So for example, if I, if I start telling you a story and there are some characters in there and you become attached to the characters and you really enjoy the situation, the adventures they go on and the story has twists and turns and you're following along with what's happening to the characters and then something happens to the character and it's really dramatic then your emotions are going to be affected. Now, it's just me talking. It's just someone using words. And this is what happens when we go to the movies. A really good engaging, engaging movie is the causal body affecting the emotional body. Think about it. All you're doing in the cinema is sitting in a chair. You're not really moving. And then, of course... Something comes out of nowhere and pop, bang, all of a sudden you jump out of your skin. Or when it's the climax and the, the, the bad guy really confronts the, the good guy and there's this giant showdown, there's this big tension between these two characters, then, then you really you grip to your seat, you're on the edge of like, there's a reason why we have this term on the edge of my seat. When I saw, when I saw a good movie, I say I was on the edge of my seat, I was I was on every moment that was happening or that book was a page turner. So that's the causal body affecting the emotional body. And when you go into the emotional body, the physical body has a, 
uh, expression or reaction. Like uh, it's it's in that order. Like you don't say I'm sad because I'm crying. You say I'm crying because I'm sad. You don't say I'm crying be- like I'm I'm crying because of the story. I'm not I'm not the story because I'm crying. So in where each body is the main culprit of your experience of reality, you can find out by which order in which you speak. Let's put it that way. So if you're, it, well, one way to say is what is what is closest to you at the time? So if you're at the gym, working out, then the physical body is closest to you at the time. If you're getting in touch with the temperature of your body, then the energy body is the closest to you at that time. If you're feeling angry or an emotion, then the emotional body is closest to you at the time. If you're listening to something really intellectual and in your head, you're in your mind, then the causal body is the closest to you at the time. And whatever is closest to you, everything else stems off. And that indication of what's closest to you can tell you what's happening and where you're coming from, where you're going to, and how your experience of reality is at that time. So that's the first four main bodies. And now we come to the fifth one, which is the cosmic body. I've called this the cosmic body, and it's also called it's also called the non-dual body, or it can be called infinity, or it can be called any number of other things. It can be called Godhead, Brahman. It's the the oneness. So when someone says, oh, I feel one with the universe, then that's them talking about the cosmic body. That's them talking about the non-dual body. Now, when we talk about non-duality, we have to be very careful because it's very tricky. Because all words and all speech works with contradictions. All words have a duality to them. Words are crude, like the physical body. Once you put words out, they're stuck. They're frozen. Whereas in reality, things are moving. They're dynamic. They're flowing. They're always changing. So one way to say what the cosmic body is, what the non-dual body is, is that it is all of the other bodies. It's the physical body, the energy body, the emotional body, and the causal body. The cosmic body is all of them. And if we look at our definition of a body, we can say that the cosmic body has a natural shape that it wants to be in. And that shape is the shape of reality. 
If you can know the shape of reality, then you can know the cosmic body. It also has a way of moving and interacting. The cosmic body is how reality acts. It's how reality moves. It is what reality does. It also has a need to be fed, to develop, to grow. It has a directionality to it. Can you see how reality grows? Can you see how reality changes where it's going to? It also has a thing that will kill it suddenly. So there's a lot of things that the scientists like to speculate over or the uh, cosmic physicists, uh, astrophysicists like to talk about of the giant crunch which is just the the whole universe all of a sudden just goes boop and we're all sucked into one big black hole all of a sudden and it's the Big Bang all over again. And then there's also the Big Freeze, which is everything moves apart and the whole universe gets torn apart. I hope this doesn't sound too nihilistic. (laughs) I don't really know how to answer the thing that will kill all of reality suddenly. That's a Well, we can do that on the subjective... The subjective plane and also the cosmic total plane. And we, when we talk about these certain, certain things, we have to venture off into absolutism. And uh, absolutism is, well, that's a can of worms. We'll be dissecting that soon enough. Uh, but further down our list on the definition of a body, we have parts that are separate but all working together. So when you look at reality, you can see that there are parts, but they're also working together, sometimes in contradiction and conflict with drama. But if you can see that reality is parts and also working together, then you can get in touch with the cosmic body. Now, there's really... A few ways to skewer the cosmic body because it's possible to expand your sense of reality to the shape, your your subjective reality, your subjective immediate personal experience of reality. It's possible to expand that to the cosmic reality, the bigger reality. So this This idea of there's you by yourself and then there's the rest of the universe, that's a duality. That's you and something else. That's self and other. And we can say that that's the main duality. That's the primary duality. So Ken Wilber in his book, No Boundary, would say, he says, that that is the primary boundary self and other. Now, to enter the cosmic body, you have to erase that boundary or expand that boundary. And therein lies the trick because the cosmic body includes the small little me self, only me in this big world experience. So I don't want to spend too much time trying to decipher that and 
the cosmic body i really don't spend too much time on i mean there are there are spiritual practices and certain techniques which are designed specifically for that experience but for me personally i'm much more interested in the other four bodies the physical the energy the emotional the causal and also the subtle body which we throw in there so if you can enter into the first four or five bodies fully then that's the same as entering the cosmic body because the cosmic body includes every experience and it's total in and of itself all the time so if you are intensely in a body then it doesn't matter what body it is you're in the cosmic body and this I think in this part, point of the conversation, it's probably a good idea to say, well, if we have multiple bodies and we can move in and out of them and they all have their own varieties and they're all unique unto themselves, what am I? Who is the thing? What is the thing that is navigating these bodies? And that is, well, we can say it's the self, but really we want to say that, well, we could say it's the self and some spiritual practices call it the witness or some people call it the the causal, uh, sorry, not the causal, the, the centaur, uh, the centaur sense of reality. So the centaur is when you have the physical so a centaur is a half man half horse and when you really watch your emotions and you watch your physical body then these two things they create a third uh, a third experience there's an experience which is beyond the emotional and the physical and if you're moving in and out of these bodies intensely and you're having a wide variety of experiences, th think of it this way. Like, say we have one, like, draw a line on a piece of paper. It's a, it's a horizontal line. It's a horizon. And that can be one body. There's a single line and it's flat and it's straight. Now, if you have a single flat line then there's no need to have something that navigates that line. You can move along that line back and forth, up and down. And the line is contained in and of itself. Now, say we put some squiggles around and we turn that line into a bit of a mess and it's going up and down and it's all over the place, then you're going to be lost, you're going to be confused, you're going to be unable to navigate that line. So what will happen naturally is another point will come off that line and stand above it so it can see the ins and outs and the turns and the squiggles of that line. So we've got a line with a point moving along it, which is all squiggly, and a point over the top. Now, that point over the top can move in a straight line. It can move in a flat line. So we've got a horizontal, flat, plain, simple line over the top of our piece of paper. And underneath it, there's a squiggly, all chaotic, messy 
just like your emotions. Like when we say your emotions are in a mess, your emotions are all over the place. Then we're saying you're so emotional. They're all ups and downs and squiggly. Well, then that, that can be out this first squiggly line. And then this second line over the top is watching over. So we've got a straight line and a squiggly line. And these two points are happening in different ways. Now, we can add, keep adding lines because the second line can become squiggly. It can become more complex. And the third line becomes more complex. And you can see that each stage, it becomes more complex. And each level, each layer, now I hate to use the word levels again, but we can say that each line is joined at the end, so it's a circle. Or we can put these lines in a spiral, general spiral shape. So it's getting very complex now when we try and put when we try and put a, a shape onto reality. It's always going to be crude and it's always going to be a bit funny. But well, let, let's stick with let's stick with levels. Let's just just don't get your knickers in a knot. So when we have these different levels, these five levels, the more twisted and and crazy each line is, the more there is a need for uh, a a watch a watching thing, a, a thing that navigate or a like a what do you call the 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 skipper of a ship, the captain, like a captain or a navigator of the ship. So the bigger the ship and the more complex the ship, then the more of a an, an admiral, admiral or captain you're going to need. And if you have multiple ships, then you need an admiral. And if you need to have multiple admirals, then you need a general. Well, this is the same principle. So there's something that's created when you have a variety in these different bodies. So in order to create the admiral or the witness or the, the thing that navigates each of the bodies... The secret is to go into each body consciously and to have a wide range of experiences in each body. So how do you have a wide range of experiences in the physical body? Well, most of the time people are, they really only have one body. They're only in one body. If you have a lifestyle where you're working and using your mind a lot, and then after work, you go to the gym and you do a 40 minute workout, then you're not really, you're not really centered in the physical body, like moving out of the the physical body, the, the mental body that well, we're causing it, we're, we're calling it here the causal body, moving out of that for a little while is different to moving your center. So to have a, uh, how to say, to have a wide experience of each of the bodies, you really have to be doing a wide variety of things within each body. So we've got five different bodies. You want to be doing multiple different things with each body. Now, that becomes very complex very quickly because if you're doing five different things physically and then your energy body, we're doing five different exercises or experiences for, and then your emotional body, you're doing five different situations or things for, and then the causal body, 
you know, it's five times five, you've got 25 different things that you need to be doing. So a more practical way of thinking about it is saying, well, now for this next few weeks, let me concentrate just on one body and choose a body that you're not strong with, that you're not usually centered in. So if you're saying your physical body is the focus, you want to be doing physical things. So going to the gym is just one thing. Doing a different kind of work that involves physical labor, physical movement, different to your normal work, then that's another thing. And then you can have sports. So sports are great for the physical body because they can open up different things which are new to you, which you're trying differently, and they're totally different to your workout, to your work, to your activities and these sorts of things. And the same goes for the emotional body. Now, what can you do to get into the emotional body? Be romantic. Be emotional. Do things that are make you emotional. Watch movies. Watch a love movie. Watch a movie. Have a conversation with someone. So opening up your heart, opening up your feelings, listening to someone, listening to someone share their feelings. Usually when someone's sharing their feelings or someone's talking about their feelings, it's just, well, it, I can understand. It's just like, well, what is, what is wrong with that person? You're so emotional. Just get a grip on yourself. Just don't be so emotional. And that's me falling into the taboo. That's me not realizing that at the moment they're in a different space. They're in a different world. So plant a flag there as to when you're having your emotions triggered or your feelings opened up by having someone else talk about their feelings. One of the quickest way to open up your own emotions is to listen to someone else talk about theirs and really listen. Listen from the heart. Listen to the feeling. Now, this is the difference between listening to their words and listening to their thoughts as opposed to listening to their feelings. Now, if you only listen to the words when someone's being emotional, like if we took an, a transcript of someone's emotional conversation and we got someone to just read the words in a totally different setting with no inflection of voice and no acting behind it, it's, it's, well, it's, acting is a, is a good one. Acting is a good example because if a, a good actor brings the emotion and they've done the research and the work to bring the emotion to the words, if you read a movie script without any, like, just monotone, then there's nothing to it. Now, that difference is listening with emotion. It's possible to say something about an emotion with not many words. And in fact, when things get really emotional, the words drop away. There are less words. And the very few words that remain are very powerful. And they only need to say a very simple thing. And the emotion really hits deep. The emotion opens up. And if you're sensitive enough to hear what it's like for them to say those words as sounds which are bubbling off a deeper feeling 
a deeper center than the mind, then you can enter your emotional body. You can hear that a change in tone of voice, a change in breathing, a change in the pace of the words, can indicate so much more. When you talk with feelings, and you talk about feelings, and you enter into feelings, it's very different to talking from the mind. It's a different world. It's a different experience. And that's why... We are saying that the emotional body is different to the physical body and the causal body. So saying to yourself, I'm going to work with emotion and I'm going to be entering my emotional body and I'm going to be doing the various techniques. So there is a whole array of different techniques which I'll be talking about soon enough that help you to enter the emotional body. And you can find your own, really. I mean, there's plenty out there. Then the emotion can really complexify your experience of reality. So I think I've spent enough time now just trying to get this picture clear. We've got the physical body the energy body, the emotional body, the causal body, and the cosmic body. We didn't talk too much about the energy body, and we'll cover more about that. If you if you want to know more about the energy body, then my quick tip or the quick technique is to do Tai Chi. So when we talk about Tai Chi, that's when we talk about practices altogether, like we can thread something like yoga through these bodies. Nowadays, when yoga is taught, it's mostly taught predominantly as a physical body exercise. So you're doing yoga to increase your flexibility, your balance, your fitness, your blood pressure, these sorts of things. It's purely centered in the physical body. Some yoga teachers move a little bit into the subtle body. It's it's hard to find. Like if there's someone that's really switched on, then they can do the physical body and the subtle body. And a lot of yoga teachers talk about energy and they will use this word energy in their own way, but they're not really talking about entering the energy body completely. They're talking about energy flow. They're talking about oxygen flow. And also emotion comes into yoga. So yoga can be used to open up. It's it's one of these techniques that can be used to open up your emotional center. And there are particular yoga styles or yoga moves, positions, which are used for particular emotions and different centers of emotion. So depending on what style of yoga or what your instructor is like, depends on whether they're physical, subtle, energy, or emotional. And, of course, the yoga, uh, the, the yoga, a yoga practice involves the causal body because your instructor is using words to tell you what 
to do and each you know you've got your your list you've got your sun sun pose i'm trying to think of some yoga positions cat pose tree pose mountain pose salute the sun these these words go along with the emo- the uh the yoga practice so a really good yoga teacher has lots of words for what they're doing and they know the the names of all the positions and they can say them and why and talk about them clearly and actually yoga was yoga means union so that comes back to the cosmic body so originally in the ancient traditions yoga was meant for dissolving this boundary of self and other and it's in a funny way it's you can even have yoga teachers which only do that they're only meant to be they they they're only pushing that so yeah in a way well if you're doing a practice like yoga or tai chi usually they're only meant to be working on one at most two bodies and usually that's the case and that's meant to be the case you really want to only want to work on one body at once one thing for one thing now if you have a really advanced system like in his book integral life practice which i've talked about before in the episode are you ready for integral theory a buffoon's tribute to ken wilber in his book in that book and when he's talking about an integral practice he says that there's three bodies they do the physical the subtle and the causal the physical the energy and the causal body of course they're aware aware of the other bodies it's not that they're leaving them out on purpose but they created an exercise which is for three bodies and they call that the three body workout so if you have a modern cutting edge spiritual practice which has been developed in you know at least the last 30 to at most 40 years then there's a chance it's going to be working with two or three bodies to really get a full spectrum you're going to have to have separate practices for each body and a lot of them are adaptable and you can use them like yoga is adaptable to all of them yoga is a real except maybe the causal body yoga is not a very mind it's not a very mind mental thing so each practice has its limits and its degree of flexibility so here with this understanding of different bodies you can really know what it is you're trying to do and what the focus is and also look out for the look look out for a reductionism because when people put forward a technique or an idea there's this thing of it solves all your problems or this is all you need and you can see this most particularly with the energy body so someone's teaching about energy and they're overweight and they don't have a strong understanding of psychology so that's a energy body reductionism and they will say energy is everything that's a key phrase 
that's a key phrase to look out for in the motivational self-help new age movement. There's nothing wrong with it. Like in a sense, I mean, this comes back to absolutism. In a sense, everything is energy, but what they're doing is they're saying that their technique solves all the problems. This is the one thing you need to work on. Now, when you hear that, don't dismiss it. Don't say you're wrong because they're not wrong because the technique that they're giving to you is specifically for a specific body. It's one body. It's the energy. In this case, we're talking about the energy body. The physical body, they will say the same thing. All you really need is to get your physical body right. So looking out for a... What's the right word for it? It's not a... It's not absolutism. That's too philosophical a word. For anyone that says my technique is the be end all of all techniques, that's something to look out for. And when you see it and when you hear it, know that the reason they're saying that is because it's effective only for one body. It's effective best for a particular body. And usually the person that's talking about that has discovered a separate body and that opening. So they've gone either from the physical body to the emotional body or from the causal body to the energy body. And that shift in them has given this powerful experience of saying, now this is it. Now, when you have this experience of, wow, I've really found something new, that means you've gone from one body to another body. So someone who's stuck in their head and they're really intellectual and they're really in the mind and they're deep into psychology and philosophy. And then say we take that person and then we say, okay, now we're only going to work on the emotional body for you. And all you're going to do is emotional body. Then that person, if they go through the motions, will really be able to open to the emotional body, and that will be a paradigm shift. It'll be an experiential shift for them. And then they'll be like, wow, I can't believe I was so far stuck in the mind. Now I'm in the emotions. Emotions are really what life is about. And vice versa, you might say it works the other way. You might have someone who's really emotional. And they're always having these emotions. They're always crying. They're always laughing. They're always having feelings. They're always stuck in their feelings. Now we take that person and we say, here's a book on emotional mastery. Here's a book on emotional intelligence. Here's some behavioral and experiential and emotional psychology books. Here's some philosophy, some history of emotions. Here's some stories about how people have talked about emotions. And we're feeding them books, we're feeding them words, and we talk to them, we talk to them, then we can get that person into the mind. And that shift, likewise, the person have gone is the same as the person that's gone from the, the mind to emotions. They might say, Wow, I used to be so emotional, and now I can think so clearly about my life. <laughs> I used to be so emotional, and now I can that's a good one. <laughs> I used to feel so, I used to, <laughs> okay, here it is. I used to feel so emotional and now I think so clearly. <laughs> I used to think so much and now I feel so, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you get the point there. Now, now that I've said clearly that there's techniques which 
uh, there's no one technique that fits all. I'm going to tell you the technique that does fit all. And this is the one thing that does actually open up everybody in its own way. The physical body, the subtle body, the energy body, the emotional body, the causal body, and the cosmic body. And this is really the secret to navigating reality. This is the secret to opening up your experience. This is the secret to your phenomenological awakening. The way you feel about reality. What it's like to be in reality. There's been a lot that we've talked about so far in this conversation. It might be a lot to take in. It might be a little bit unclear as to where to start or what to work on. So I want to bring it back to something simple, something grounded. And this is the one technique, the one simple technique which you can use for any body, for navigating into and out of any body. And it's the most powerful technique one of the most powerful techniques that I've ever come across. It's an ancient technique. It's not culturally specific. It's very deep, very powerful. And it's very simple. Now, when you hear it, when I tell it to you, it's going to sound simple. But don't underestimate its depth. This is... This is, well, I don't know how much more I can build it up. I don't know how much more I can really get you on the edge of your seat. I really want you to hear what I'm about to say because this is the thing that threads through and gets to the very core of your experience. So the secret to navigating all of the five bodies is... Dancing. If you can dance, then you can enter into anybody in any way. And when you dance, each of the bodies are awakened with intensities that are appropriate to where you are in reality. They're appropriate to your experience of reality. Now think about the physical body and dance. Think of what happens when you're dancing to the physical body. You have new positions, new ways of moving. You have new subtleties. Everything is new. And just think of how much subtlety there is in dancing. Think of how many ways there are to dance. How many ways can you dance? How many different types of dancing are there for you? 
And think of the energy that comes from dancing. When you have a good dance, when you really dance, when the music takes you, you become energized from it. After a good dance, you don't feel tired. You feel awake. You feel a buzz. Most likely at some point in your life, there's been a night where you've been dancing a lot. You might have to go back sometime. But if you can really go back and think about the feeling you had after you were dancing all night, then you can understand the feeling, the experience of energy, the physical body, the subtle body, and the energy that comes. And of course, I don't need to say much about emotion when it comes to dance. Because dance is a perfectly good expression of emotion. Any emotion can be expressed through dance. Music is at the core of all our cultures. It's the crown jewel of our global culture. And when you look at music, you watch these video clips, what are they doing? They're dancing. Their emotions are expressed through dancing. And of course, there's a whole array of causal realm noosphere theories around dance. There's synchronized dance. There's choreography. Dance choreography is a huge world. Dance synchronization, dance movements. This is an entire... This is, this is, this is so hard to put into a few words how deep it goes. And of course, there's the cosmic body which is when you really dance so deep that you become the world. Now, dancing is going to be something I'm going to talk about in more detail because it really does skewer so many things and it opens up so many things and it's really changed so much for my life. So, dance is quite important and it's really too much to cover just in this conversation but for the purposes of illustrating these five bodies try to imagine this skewer this thread of dancing through the physical body the energy body the emotional body the mental body and the cosmic body Dance is the one key to all of them. And that doesn't mean I don't, uh, I don't, I wouldn't put off saying there's no other techniques that can be used for each of these bodies. Rather, I would say that if there's only one thing, there's only one spiritual practice or one transformative practice or developmental practice that you can do, 
and you can only do one thing to improve your experience of reality, then it's dancing. It can open up so much for you. So if you don't have a regular practice or a regular time to dance, then I would say, why not just have a dance in your room by yourself? Maybe you need some different kind of music. (laughs) The type of music that you listen to can say a lot about which body you're most in. (laughs) So music is another skewer. We'll be coming to that later on. That's too much of a thing for this conversation. But if you... If it's been a while since you've had a dance, that's basically my prescription for the five bodies. Well, not prescription. It's not a disease. That's your, well, whatever it is, it's it's something to do. I mean, let let me be the one to remind you what it's like to dance. And you know what it's like to dance. Everyone's had a dance at some point in their life. So let me be someone who says... And brings that to your attention that uh, dance is important. Dance is powerful. And as is navigating reality and complexifying your sense of reality. And by clearly differentiating these different parts, these different bodies that we have, we can open up more to what it means to be in reality. I think that just about covers enough for this conversation today. I still feel like there's some loose threads we didn't pick up For example, the energy body and this idea of having energy, of being motivated. So physical body and the image we used of the puppet, which is an inanimate object. And then we feed it food, we feed it caffeine and this separateness of energy going through something. That's a deeper topic than we covered. And there's a few other threads that aren't coming to my mind just now. Like, well, for example, there's the thing of emotional labor and physical labor. So laboring is another thread which is a bit more tricky to talk about at the same time of these conversations. And then there's also... Uh, another funny philosophical question, which is, do animals have all these bodies? Do animals experience the energy body, the emotional body, the causal body, the cosmic body? And the short answer is, the short answer is yes. The long answer is no, not like humans do. So what makes us human is the complexity of our experience of reality. And it's the curse of humanity that we are given all these bodies and they're all going haywire. Basically, we have all these squiggles on the page and we try to make all these squiggly lines straight all at once. And there's five or six of them going at once. The 
the curse, yeah, like the curse of these squiggles is it's our humanity, but the the coming out of that and having the complexity is the richness. So so the curse and the richness go together. It's like you're given you're given the curse, and if you transform it, then you end with the richness. So that's why there's so much anguish in the human condition is because it's forced on you and there's so much to it. And then also there's, uh, well, this conversation goes longer, it goes deeper, actually, because with this definition of bodies having a shape and a way of moving and a thing that will kill it suddenly and parts that are separate, with that definition we can say there are other bodies like the performance body. So performance is a experience unto itself and it's a sequence of situations which are leading to an event in your subjective phenomenological experience which is unique to performance. So performance is the performance body. When you're in the performance body, you're not exactly in the physical body and you're not exactly in your mind or your emotions. So these sports stars or these people that train to do performances that I I was just thinking earlier today about soccer. I was in the supermarket and I saw on a TV that there was some soccer and I was thinking, well, what's going on there? Is that the physical body or is it the energy body? And I was thinking, no, it's the performance is something unto itself. Now, think of these world-class soccer players that do years and years of training and training and they train their physical body and they train their energies, they train their emotions, they train their mind and they go into this grand final soccer match and something takes over them, something happens to them which is bigger than their emotions and their physical body and they and it comes down in soccer, it comes down to this point where they're touching the ball with their foot. It's just a split second where they're doing a micro kick of the ball and the whole fate of the entire season is resting on that one moment of whether it goes into the goals or not. So this confrontation of the character and and in and in that in that moment there's this euphoria of emotion it's just this massive explosion of thousands of people going crazy you can see why people create riots at soccer matches that's the emotion that's the passion that's the red meme on your spiral dynamics <laughs> we didn't even thread spiral dynamics through the five bodies let's not get in let's not get too complicated for our own good but what I'm trying to illustrate here is that the performance body is separate to all the other bodies as well. And furthermore, another one that came to mind was the grief body. So when you're in grief, grief, it, it doesn't seem right to me to call grief an emotion. And I met with a friend the other week and she... I don't want to say too much, but she had been through something. Let's just say that she had the right 
she had cause to be in the grief body. Now, when you're in grief, your physical body acts differently. Your physical body moves differently. Your thoughts also move differently. Your energies are different. And your subtleties are different. And that is the grief body being at the center of where you are. That's why we say, I am in grief. We don't say, grief is happening to me. When someone is grieving, they say, well, here's that funny thing again about being angry. Are you angry or you are anger? It's the same with grieving. You say, I am grieving. And the ing on that word, ing, grieving, it's it's deceptive. It really should be, if someone's really grieving and they're really talking poetically, then they'd say, I am grief. Now, if someone, if someone was in grief and they said that to you like that, that could, re- that could be a really heavy way of expressing what is happening to them. When someone says, I am grief. And there's a whole bunch of cultural traditions across different parts of the world that deal with grief in its own way. There are processes, there are traditions, there are ceremonies, there are fashions, there are rituals, there are prayers. There are all sorts of things around grief which are unique to grief. And I I hope you agree with me that grief is different to a... uh, It's different to an emotion. It's much deeper than that. It's much... Well, it, it pervades more. Um, An emotion is a temporary passing thing. So you can be angry in the morning. You can be angry in the morning and happy in the afternoon. And that can be your routine. But when you're in grief, you really enter into that body fully after a significant event in your life, like my friend had, who I was talking with. And I don't think she thought about it. Well, she she gave me the idea and we talked about this idea of the grief body. I didn't share with her all the you know physical, subtle energy, emotional, causal, cosmic. I didn't get into that. But and and we can have a a, a long list of points to say what a body is and we can make our definition of the body or a body very malleable but when we were talking it was becoming clear to me that the grief body is something in and of itself now you wouldn't you wouldn't use the grief body as a spirit well see that's a funny thing because when you when you have a spiritual practice we often think okay i'm going to do this technique and I'm going to get this transformation. Or I'm going to work on this body and I'm going to build this body. So bodybuilding. It's funny that they call bodybuilding bodybuilding, not body growing. That can also be another indication. Imagine if you had emotion building or energy building. 
you, you wouldn't really say that. You When you work on energy, you say, I'm working on energy flow. And when you say, I'm working on emotion, you say, I'm working on t- intensity. So it gets funny when we talk about words, but this is a tangent. Let me get back to the, the grief body. When When you have a spiritual practice and you're working on an individual body, you wouldn't say, okay, now I'm going to work on my grief body. But when you have an intense life experience like the death of a loved one or something that puts you into deep grief, that can be a spiritual practice. It can be a transformative practice. And it really can bring about huge amounts of growth. It can bring about a a very big shift in meaning. And if you're consciously aware of grief as a body, which you go into and you use to navigate reality, then that can really change a lot about how you deal with big life changes and how you go into big life events, such as are surrounded by grief. So grief doesn't come along very often for most people. It really only comes along a couple, well, depending on, it, it's hard to speak broadly about that. I mean, some people, I mean, we can get into, is grief the same as depression? Are people who are depressed all their life grieving all their life? And does really, does anyone really ever be depressed all their life? Is that how it works or is it just a majority? So it's hard to talk about these very broad, big experiences like life in in yeah it's not really possible but i think i've made enough of a illustration of grief as to say that it's a body unto itself and also think about dancing like imagine if you say say someone's grieving and they do a dance what 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 would that look like what kind of music would they play along to what kind of music would they move along to so you can use dance to say well bring you bring you out of grief by playing you happy music and that will cause you to move on or we can say no let your grief be an expression and really do do a soft dance like i mean i'm getting images of like a soft movement a very sad song to dance with someone while grieving i don't think there's dancing I mean, there's dancing at weddings, but you don't have dancing at a funeral, do you? Not in my culture, at least, in the West. Imagine if that was the case. Imagine if it was like, well, actually, I did, yeah, I have attended a funeral where there was dance. There was It was more sort of music-based than dance. I wasn't really there for that too much. I'm just trying to think of times when I haven't been to that many funerals. So, yeah, imagine if you had a funeral and it was like, okay, that's time and done and now we're going to have a big dance, a big celebration. I mean, there are cultures that do that around the world throughout history. It's just a very funny way of thinking about these ideas. So there are other bodies on the list. When you when you have this definition of what it's like to be in something, 
it's a very malleable idea of what is a body. But the main ones I want to be clear about are the physical, the energy, the emotional, the causal, and the cosmic. If you use those five, those big five, and the, the subtle body is you know half a body, then you can really start to open up your experience of reality. Yeah, I've been wanting to talk about this for some time. It's been quite a big journey for me to discover these and actually to have the time to go into them myself. And that's why I talk about them is because I've done these explorations. I've been on this adventure. This is my first talk since coming back from quite a long break from everything. And it feels great to talk, let me tell you. I feel so good about it. There's something really magical happening here. Uh, I don't... I don't want to get into my story too too much. Uh, I mean, all I can really say is that we'll be sharing more when the time is right. And it really has been an incredible journey. Like, I've been, well, I've been to the other side of the planet, but I've been to another world. So let me just... Say it like that. Same planet, different world, and it really is a whole nother world out there. Uh, and truly extraordinary things have, have happened. So, my name is Dosta. It's been a joy to be speaking with you, and that's all I have to say for now.
Are you still listening? Are you listening to the silence? I think what I'm going to do from now on with each episode is I'll leave a <clears throat> I'll leave a certain amount of silence at the end. And when that happens, don't skip over it because listening to silence is an important part of listening. So keep the tape running and I'll keep some silence at the end. And also that's good because sometimes people listen to me with multiple episodes on end. So if you're doing that, it will just give a break to your ears and let your brain fizzle a little bit, let it buzz a little bit. So for the end of each episode, keep it running, keep the silence. Just take a moment to be meditative, be quiet and see what's happening inside you. See what feelings are happening, seeing what is sticking from the episode, what moments stand out, what words and things that I've talked about stand out to you, what's coming up. So silence is important. And I will keep just a few minutes of silence at the end of each episode for you to let it play out and for you to become quiet. And my name is Dosta, and now that I've explained that, this really is all I have to say for now.